0: or online at victoriasecret.com.
1: Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio.
2: Hello, and welcome to the third season of Criminalia. This season, we're exploring the lives and motivations of some of the most notorious imposters throughout history. Today, we're talking about the original and legendary Wolf of Wall Street, I'm Maria Tramarki
1: and I'm Holly Fry and you may think you know who the wolf of Wall Street was based on Martin Scorsese's movie which was appropriately named The Wolf of Wall Street right <laughs> that is a person named Jordan Belfort and that movie was based on Jordan's book where he described his debaucherous rise as a New York stockbroker right up to his very corrupt and messy fall
2: yeah so Jordan's rise, at his peak, he bought mansions, he bought cars. Uh, For those car people out there, especially from the 80s, he had two superstars, uh, the Lamborghini Countach and the Ferrari Testarossa. He bought a helicopter, which he crashed. He bought a yacht, which he sank. And as a side note to that yacht, he bought it from Coco Chanel. He took a lot, a lot, which explains a lot of his behavior. He took a lot of quaaludes. He said... That he modeled himself after his on-screen hero, Gordon Gecko, who was the ruthless corporate raider played by Michael Douglas in the 80s movie Wall Street.
1: Ultimately, Jordan was arrested. That was in 1999. And he pled guilty to fraud and various crimes associated with defrauding investors out of more than 200 million dollars. And because he was willing to cooperate with the FBI and give testimony against his partners and subordinates in this whole thing, his sentence was lightened. He only spent 22 months in prison. And it was during his prison time when he began writing his book, his memoirs, which he called The Wolf of Wall Street. That's a borrowed name. We're going to talk about that in a second. Indeed, he did Uh, steal something. In 2013, years after Jordan had served his time, Martin Scorsese's movie was released.
2: It wouldn't be wrong to call Jordan the Wolf of Wall Street because he certainly sounds as though he could be the Wolf of Wall Street. But it turns out, though, that uh, Jordan's just a Wolf of Wall Street. He's not the first. And of all things he did, he actually never impersonated anyone.
1: Enter the real topic of today's conversation <laughs> David Lamar. David Lamar is the original Wolf of Wall Street, not Jordan Belfort. Although, comedically enough, they do have something in common. Uh, Despite the fact that it's in their name, neither of these men actually ever really worked on Wall Street. It's
2: just coincidence, right? So um, it is a little bit early, but we're going to stop now for a break for a word from our sponsor so that when we come back, we'll introduce David Lamar. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid and I can turn out a look when I need to. But on my day to day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store, something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older (laughs) in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com. Slash Criminalia for 10% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions and I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafecom criminalia. That's simplysafe, S I M P L I S A F slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Escape to Summer with Victoria's Secret. Welcome back to Criminalia. Do you know how to short stock? This has been in the news in recent times. Mm -hmm. Everyone's trying to figure it out. Well, David Lamar sure knew how to do it.
2: Yes. So, David. David was born in or around 1877. We don't know the exact date. He went on to become a legend for his financial scams, as well as his impersonation of a member of Congress and... Uh, Various other people, let's just say, for right now. (laughs) He was known for walking about New York City with his diamond-studded walking stick, for his horses, and also for being brash and cutthroat in his dealings.
1: So he was actually born David Levy. We know that because he had a brother, Henry, who would sign his last name (laughs) Levy, and that's how people put it together. But David later told people that he changed his last name to Lamar to match that of a noted Mississippi senator in order to help facilitate his business dealings.
2: And Holly just said facilitate with quotation marks around it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That person he's referencing would presumably be a man named Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus Lamar, And in the 1870s and 1880s, that Lamar served as both a member of the U.S. House of Representatives and then the U.S. Senate, and then he became Secretary of the Interior and eventually an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. But here's the thing. Uh, LQC Lamar's legacy is one that is deeply rooted in racism. It is extraordinarily ugly. And he had a lot of very active rhetoric around white supremacy. So really not a great choice for someone to associate yourself with via a name change. It
2: was not actually the only name that he would use, though. Uh, David Lamar, also went by David Lewis, particularly during a stretch of time he spent in Omaha, Nebraska. And at one point, J.P. Morgan smartly (laughs) had become suspicious of Lamar and his financial doings, and he put two and two together, and he figured out that these were very likely the very same man. So Morgan actually paid to have a judge from Omaha who had had dealings with David Lewis fly to New York to identify David Lamar as being the same man. And as you probably expected, he was.
1: And many sources say that David pretended to be the heir of a wealthy Georgia family that allowed him not only to live very extravagantly, but also gave him better access to politicians and financial heavyweights. Some sources also suggest that around people with money, David pretended to be a legitimate businessman. He was charged with bribery in 1895 in Virginia after what he got involved with, which the press called, quote, electric franchise fight. (laughs) Uh, Presumably, he was trying to help monopolize the delivery of electricity to people. He went on to pose as a New York businessman while he was in Mobile, Alabama. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It's actually kind of tricky if you look back, particularly at his obituaries that came out Uh when he died. All of the newspapers are just like lists of weird things that he was involved in and like his rap sheet. Exactly. <laughs> and it's actually so thick. it's You can see that they were even having trouble keeping it all straight.
2: It's hard to track the timeline with the name and the associated event.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And because he was mobile, he was in a lot of places. And you can see he managed to get into a lot of scrapes. But he was very driven. And even after any of these scrapes, he always continued simply moving on from one ruse to the next.
2: Because he he had big imagination (laughs) Um, and knew a lot of people. Uh, So David was the type of fraudster who would do whatever it took to close a deal and make some money. An early and really significant score for him was when he fleeced the Rockefellers in 1899. By manipulating George Rogers, who was the secretary to Standard Oil founder John D. Rockefeller Sr., David convinced the junior Rockefeller to buy stock in U.S. leather. Rockefeller did buy that stock, and then David did short it. Rockefeller Jr. lost about a million dollars of his father's money.
1: Okay, so we told you we would talk about shorting. If you do not know what shorting is, here is the quick and dirty version because this will come up again. And also it's just good life information to have. Shorting stock, also called short selling, is when an investor borrows shares and then immediately sells them with the intention of buying them back later at a lower price. This is a trading technique for people who are willing to take substantial risk of capital loss, at least potentially, substantial risk and loss. It's also a trading technique that can make someone like Jordan, who we mentioned earlier, or David Lamar, a lot of pocket change.
2: Yeah, he's going to need a lot of pockets. For that. <laughs> so much of David's story actually revolves around following his arrest record. So we're moving ahead a few years to a really great example of how ruthless and cutthroat he could be, as well as his air of feeling sort of above the law as he was doing things. So in July of 1903, David's coachman was a man named James McMahon, and he was supposed to appear in court to testify against David Lamar on an assault charge. Uh, But unfortunately, McMahon was stabbed and beaten before he was able to enter the courthouse. And because of this, he was unable to testify. David's brother-in-law and two of David's employees were arrested and subsequently charged with having been involved in the attack on McMahon.
1: So now we're going to move on the timeline to 1913. And that was an extraordinarily busy year for Lamar. And during one scandal, a reporter actually asked Lamar about his name change and his involvement in various nefarious business dealings. And David replied, quote, "'I'm sorry. I've never given an interview, and I can't start now on a personal matter.'" As for the matter of my change in name, well, the Senate records show I declined to tell the right one because it would make the innocent suffer, perhaps. We really have no idea what he was getting at with that. None whatsoever. I, my personal suspicion is that he was just trying to continue to cultivate his air of mystery.
2: I agree, too, especially the addition of perhaps.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But
2: it's here in 1913 when David begins to impersonate some real big fish for power and financial gain. Say you wanted to drive down steel prices in an effort to short the stock and make huge amounts of money for yourself. If you're David, you settle on a plan to defraud the U.S. Steel Corporation as well as J.P. Morgan and Company, which pretty much dominated the corporate finance world on Wall Street at the time.
1: So to do this, he figured he would pretend to be a member of Congress. And he really did just do exactly that. Yes. It's
2: like he woke up one day.
1: (laughs) I know. This will work. Yes. Uh, His target to impersonate was Pennsylvania Representative Alexander Mitchell Palmer, who was a lawyer and a politician. And David faked this persona in telephone interviews, and he even attempted but failed to deliver a floor speech to persuade Congress to his proposal. Sometimes your schemes, though, do not go as planned. In this instance, while no one could see him over the phone and that seemed to work, he could not mask his face in front of all those (laughs) congressmen who actually knew Alexander Mitchell Palmer.
2: That would actually have been really impressive on his impersonation, like the way that he was impersonating people. now he's like, now I cover my face. I <laughs> face job. It,
1: it becomes like, very Mission Impossible at that <laughs> point. Very much, right?
2: <laughs> so, Palmer. Actually, Palmer served in Congress from 1909 to 1915, (laughs) although you probably actually know him better as the US Attorney General under President Wilson, Woodrow Wilson. By 1920, Palmer had his eye on the White House. And so if you're not really familiar with his name, you may be familiar with one of the things he's most famous for doing, which were the Palmer Raids, conducted by the U.S. Department of Justice between 1919 and January 1920. The raids kicked off what became known as the Red Summer. And this was all led by Palmer, but it was executed by a young J. Edgar Hoover This campaign targeted people who were alleged communists, anarchists, It focused on people of certain countries, Russians were targeted, but basically any people who were suspected of far left extremism were targets. And in the end, about 4,000 people were arrested and about 800 were deported.
1: Yeah, that whole thing started because there was a bombing attack on Palmer. But then he parlayed that into, I am going after anyone I don't like, particularly anyone foreign. Like, he just went mad with his quest on that.
2: It was kind of a a weird little story. You know, like somebody tried to bomb his house, but messed up and blew themselves up. And the Roosevelts lived across the street and they were afraid. So all of this kind of played into what became this terrible year.
1: Yeah, they treated people absolutely horribly. David Lamar, not surprisingly, did not get away with impersonating Representative (laughs) Palmer, even though this was several years prior when Palmer really would have been in every single paper in the United States, though he was already a prominent politician. And David was subsequently arrested at his apartment at the Hotel Laurelton, which was in Manhattan's Midtown neighborhood.
2: So to set the wealth scene here, let's say, uh, if you're not familiar with New York City, this is a neighborhood today where you'll find the Empire State Building, the Chrysler Building, Times Square. I can just keep listing them. There are many more attractions. But back at the turn of the 20th century, Midtown was kind of a stagnant, almost commercial neighborhood. When David moved in there, though, it was undergoing a huge transformation. And moneyed families were turning the neighborhood into this bustling business district. And that's when the the big towers were created, the Chrysler building was built, and it was all on par with Wall Street when it came to power.
1: Yeah, if you look at the history of New York City, it's very fascinating how initially the population was all clustered at the south end of the island and it just slowly spread up and up and up and up northward. Um that's a whole other story. For another right. Day. It's but... a whole nother show. Like, oh <laughs> In a Senate committee hearing on this whole matter, Lamar calmly and perhaps amazingly just confessed to impersonating people all the time. No big deal. <laughs> he was deal. like the picture of nonchalance about it. Right. And joked about it like Oh, yeah, you got me. I'm, I impersonate people. It's hilarious. Right? Like, you don't do that too? <laughs> <laughs> One press write-up noted, quote, never before had the national lawmakers listened to such brazen effrontery and acknowledgement of chicanery as came from the lips of the Wolf of Wall Street on that occasion. His own confessions clearly proved that his character was a dash of Baron Munchausen, Ananias, and a trace of Cagliostro.
2: I love that quote. (laughs) That's a good description. It's a great description that just appeared in the newspaper. Like, it's a great description of him. So uh, David was charged for his attempt at impersonating a member of Congress. And on December 3rd, 1914, he appeared in the federal district court before a judge Sessions. And after just about 45 minutes, the jury found him guilty of impersonating by telephone Representative Alexander Mitchell Palmer with the intention of defrauding two major corporate players. He was convicted on two counts of the second of three indictments against him.
1: And his counsel planned to appeal, and the court granted his counsel a writ of error. That meant a stay of execution of the sentence pending the result of that appeal. And if that just sounds like a lot of legal language in mumbo jumbo, because it kind of is, uh, what it boils down to is that the court temporarily suspended David's sentence while his lawyers prepared to challenge the case's outcome. And we did look that up, of course, as well. David did go on to serve two years in Atlanta Penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia.
2: We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. But when we're back, we'll talk
0: about the sunset of David's sordid occupation. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen, very sexy push-up bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like black shine, green, and citron.
1: Okay, let's kick things off with David conspiring with a German spy.
2: This surprises no one. <laughs> so over the years, the type of David's engagements kind of changed a bit, although his end goal was still, of course, power and money. So fresh out of prison in 1915, he acted as an agent for Captain Franz von Rintelen, who was a German naval intelligence officer, which... You could also call him a German spy uh, in the United States during World War One. Much later, while giving a speech, the captain joked, amid the audience's laughter, that a Secret Service agent is a spy if he is on the other side, but an intelligence officer if working for you. He also admitted he had lived in New York under five aliases, but that was just about all he ever divulged of his intelligence slash spy work. He was always pretty tight-lipped about what exactly he did and how
1: exactly he did it. Von Rintelen spoke on occasion about how the war would not be decided in Europe. He believed, rather, that it would be in the United States, so he struck a plan to conduct a campaign of propaganda to improve relations between the United States and Germany, and it would also, he hoped, create a pro-German sentiment in the U.S.,
2: there was actually a second piece to this plan as well. you know. So this was war, and he also wanted to curtail the commercial power in other countries, and in particular Great Britain. To do that, he wanted to prevent munition manufacturing and shipments, and that meant strikes in American munitions factories.
1: This was important to the war effort, of course, because munitions factories were making military weapons and equipment that were in high demand. Working together, Von Rintelen and David Lamar, as David Lamar this time, (laughs) concocted a plan to pressure American munitions factories and shipping agencies to strike. They figured out that they could do this by taking aim at financial institutions and business organizations.
2: And because of his talent for manipulating people, as well as his obvious total disregard for ethics and morals, David was considered the brains behind this campaign. Von Rintelen gave him somewhere between... $300,000 300000 to $500,000. The reports on just how much vary. It's all big numbers. Uh, and this was given to David to implement the plan.
1: Yeah, you know, when you're doing spy work, you don't really like broadcast your receipts on un- right. <laughs> <to> people <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, speak for yourself. David Lamar like, was not <laughs> signing a I have received three hundred thousand dollars
2: with a copy he's like
1: <laughs> right with his little carbon book mm-hmm. This whole thing, though, despite all the money involved and promises of what would be done with it, did not go as planned, and that is because of David. Remember, he was not any kind of expert in such matters. He was an opportunistic poser. (laughs) David's reports on the campaign's success when he reported to Von Ritalin were all faked, and they were always exaggerated. He was basically like, yes, boss, everything is going according to plan. We're actually ahead of schedule. (laughs) (laughs) It was not until later that von Rintelen realized that David had swindled him out of a large amount of money and didn't deliver any results. And we should point out, this really doesn't reflect well on von Rintelen's intelligence At all, right? Like, (laughs) you're a German spy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, surely he should have spotted a fake collaborator. But David somehow convinced him that he would be a great partner in such a move.
2: Why not? <laughs> Life's got a lot of risk in it. <laughs> Here's $500,000. Um, so it actually wasn't, after he was swindled, it wasn't Von Rinoline or any other man involved in the plan, as far as we can tell, who actually tipped off the authorities. But David was, yet again, arrested. This time he was convicted of conspiring with Germans and interfering with munitions shipments, which technically, yes, uh, he testified on his own behalf that indeed he had engaged in the anti-munitions scam. David also gave up the captain and claimed that the campaign was done at the request of Actually, another man, someone named the Reverend Dr. Thomas C. Hill, who had also been a professor of Christian ethics at Union Theological Seminary. Hill only comes up in the men's testimony, actually. He remains a bit of a mystery to both of us.
1: Another man who was implicated in this plan was Henry B. Martin. And he, like David, took the stand. While he denied he knew that the money came from a German source, he did admit that he accepted large amounts of money from David, which he spent on the behalf of the Labor's National Peace Council, as well as promoting and distributing pro-German propaganda to Americans.
2: While the Labor's National Peace Council really does sound like a very official group, It actually wasn't at all. It wasn't a reputable organization. It was just one that David formed all as part of this larger plan.
1: So also taking the stand that day was George Plockman, who was treasurer of the Transatlantic Trust Company. He testified against von Riddlen, David, a former congressman, and five associates for the Labor's National Peace Council. Other prominent businessmen and former politicians all denied that they knew about any of this, and they definitely, or so they claimed, did not know that the Labor's National Peace Council was backed by a German spy.
2: The Sherman Act passed in 1890 as a way to prosecute violations that would include things like price fixing, market allocation, and interfering with trade with the intent of lowering economic competition for your personal gain. And if that doesn't sound like David Lamar to you, yeah, it does to us. So (laughs) Uh, the charge was conspiracy to instigate strikes, and the men were all found guilty. David, Ron Riddlein, and Martin were all sentenced to one year in jail.
1: Yeah, it kind of sounds like David Lamar read the Sherman Act as like a job description. Right? He's like, Um, I can do all these things. (laughs) Check, check and check. It should surprise no one that after losing a scheme this big, David initially tried to run. According to the Evening Star of Washington, D.C., quote, he jumped an appeal bond and fled to Mexico by airplane, subsequently surrendering himself and serving out the sentence in Trenton, New Jersey.
2: There was actually a pretty steady stream of press coverage about all of this while it was going on. And one of the most fun to read is uh, this story that ran in the San Francisco Examiner in April of 1923 under the headline, The Wolf of Wall Street Trapped, <laughs> with the subheadline, A Prison Cell at Last Awaits David Lamar, the most daring and resourceful pirate who ever tormented New York's great financial district.
1: And perhaps the best paragraph from all of this, though, reads, quote, David Lamar has been one of those hovering vultures, and from time to time he has preyed upon the best workers of the financial district for many years until he became known as the Wolf of Wall Street.
2: While he was surely active in his fraud and impersonation schemes, it actually wasn't until 1933 when we find that David again gets arrested. And this time, it was a charge of grand larceny involving the sale of rubber. History actually doesn't have a lot to say about this particular trial and arrest and jailing. Uh, We don't really know that much about the story except that he sold, but he never delivered.
1: Throughout all of this, we should mention that David, he wasn't just scheming. He had a social life and a family. In 1925, he got married to an actress who was 36 years younger than him. She was just 21 at the time, and her name was Edna French. But that was actually his second marriage. His first wife, Marie Anderson, you'll remember we mentioned his brother-in-law earlier, but Marie divorced him in 1924, a year before he married French.
2: Yeah, and, and she doesn't come up very much at all. No. So not long after his rubber scandal, (laughs) on January 12, 1934, when he was in his mid-50s, David was found dead in a hotel room at the Hotel Wellington in New York City. His death was determined to have been caused by heart disease. um, And all that was left of his fortune, which at one time was said to be in the millions, was $138 in cash, a suit, a hat, a cane, a gold watch and chain, and gold cufflinks. The front page of the New York Times the day after he died ran the headline, Lamar found dead in Midtown Hotel. Wolf of Wall Street dies obscure and alone, owing a week's room rent.
1: Yeah, all of those stories that broke when he was found dead, you could tell they were just aching for it to be something more dramatic than it right. was. Right. And they're like listing out like, well, a hotel porter said he did um, stick to his room by himself and wanted his towels delivered without knocking. Right. And like a druggist <laughs> down the street was like, he did buy a lot of heartburn medication. And it's like, yeah, because he had heart disease. Right, because <laughs> he
2: was about to die of heart disease. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, it's not really a very thrilling end for someone that led... A nefarious but thrilling to-the-spectator life.
2: Exactly. No spy came and got him in his room. Right.
1: (laughs) And the whereabouts of his wife when he was initially found were unknown, according to those first press coverage appearances about his death. But David's body was claimed by Edna French Lamar on January 16th, that's four days after the story broke, from the Riverside Memorial Chapel in Manhattan. A funeral was arranged for the following day, and a burial immediately followed. Friends, and we're using quotes around that because that is who Edna named, uh, of David, were covering the expenses. And that is all according to a story that ran in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. So at
2: one time in his, I don't necessarily want to call it a career, but, like, you know, it, it kind of was a long career. (laughs) He had an estate in New Jersey and he had a mansion on Fifth Avenue. He had wealth on and off. Um, But what he wanted really was power and recognition. And I mean, yeah, and wealth, but like he wanted that to come with it. While we mentioned a few of the highlights and there are Way more than we even talked about. Uh, there are much smaller incidents that landed David in court over the years, usually under accusations of swindling someone out of money. Often, and seemingly miraculously, he he often went free. Uh, not totally free, though. You know, you play this game long enough and you might, like David, find yourself forbidden to have transactions with various stock firms due to your various unscrupulous doings. Um, or, you know, often you'll just find yourself broke.
1: Oh, David.
2: I know. He wanted wealth and power so badly.
1: <laughs> I mean, he got it sometimes. Sometimes. On and off. Sometimes.
2: Sometimes. So, uh, it's an interesting one, actually, to do a mocktail for, I think. Um, I, I know... Researching David, I wanted to take a few shots of whatever. So, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, what do you bring to the table this week, my dear?
1: So, this is a uh, a drink that I'm calling a Wolf in Sweet Clothing, <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is one that is um, it's very yummy, but it does have a surprise little kick, even without any alcohol in it. So, uh, it starts out with three ounces of orange juice, and then you are going to take any kind of spicy syrup. I did mine two ways. I have Mm -hmm. one that's a a spicy mango syrup and I have another that's a habanero lime syrup. And I made it both ways and both were very delicious. The aftertaste was the primary difference. Interesting.
2: I always love when you bring in the mango one.
1: (laughs) I'll I'll describe how they taste a little bit different afterwards. Um, And then on top of that, you're going to pour three ounces of Sprite. And I like to not mix this as I go because I like a little subtle gradient to it. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to take some black cherry puree <laughs> just uh, and just drizzle it on top. And it's going to sink largely to the bottom, but it creates these pretty streaks in the drink. And then you kind of top it with three to four maraschino cherries. So it looks love you. <laughs> very beautiful and sweet. And it is very sweet. But what happens, because of that spiky syrup that's in there, afterwards, like, it leaves this like film in your mouth where you're like, ooh, hot, spicy, hot. Oh. <laughs> right. It's like, very subtle. It's not, it's not bad, but I feel like this is how people felt when they met this person who looked very handsome and very put together. And then they realized like, I've been duped.
2: Right. Where did my $50,000 go? Like... <laughs>
1: um, oh, this bites a little bit at the end. Uh, so yeah, so the one that I did with spicy mango, it leaves that sense of spice in your mouth. And the one that I did with the habanero lime syrup, it's not so much a taste as just the sensation of heat. So it's a little bit different, Uh, but both are very yummy. And if there's like another syrup that you have that is in that sort of family, like sometimes I'll make jalapeno syrup which is super easy if Mm -hmm. anyone's interested. You just do your simple syrup recipe, which is one part sugar to one part water. Throw a couple of sliced jalapenos in there while you get it to boiling point and make sure the sugar's dissolved. And then you let it cool and then you strain out or pull out the jalapenos if you want. You can leave them in there to steep. It will make it hotter and hotter, depending on the jalapeno. There are lots of fun, easy ways to make hot syrup, but that was uh, the one I did and it was very yummy. Now, for my drinkers in the crowd... I will shock you because in my experiments, this is another time where I thought vodka was gonna be the easy yeah. clear winner. And again, it was gin. I don't know really? if my palate is changing. Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> well, gin gin goes so well with that like hyper sweet and citrus combination. This drink can be, if you are not into sweetness, a little bit cloying. So when you add gin, it really kind of like cuts back on mm-hmm. that that soda sweetness. And it was really, really yummy. But I didn't try it. But I think you could also throw rum in here, like a white rum, and it would be delightful. It would feel very tropical at that point.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I actually will admit that I found maraschino cherries in my refrigerator and happened to mention it to Holly, who promised me that she would use them for a drink at some point. And so I am very excited about this <laughs> because it's either used them in, in this drink or eat them on a fork.
1: <laughs> well, you could also make yourself a little Shirley Temple. Of right? course. You of course do that yes. with a, a lemon-lime soda and some maraschino cherries and some pomegranate juice or any kind of juice, really. If you just do half juice, half lemon-lime soda, mm-hmm. or even club soda, if you want to take it back from that sweet place right? and throw those cherries in there. Delicious.
2: I have a lot of options, but I like yours. Got to do it, too. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, throw a little spicy syrup in there and you'll get a nice surprise. <laughs> and you won't be cheated out of your money in doing so, I hope. <laughs> we all hope. Right? <laughs> You're like, I paid $700 for this right? bottle of syrup. Please don't do that. You can make it for a buck.
2: But this guy outside the story told me that it would be the cheapest that I would find in town. <laughs> no, no,
1: never. Never. <laughs> Alrighty, thank you so much. We hope if you uh, try this mocktail or cocktail that you dig it. We want to thank you again for spending this time with us, and we will see you right back here next week with more imposters. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.